0: All right, excuse me, saved, secured, and sealed. I like that, that's pretty cool, saved, secured, and sealed. Find your copy of the words of God and let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to start. I woke up this morning to a very pleasant surprise. I woke up and got myself showered and dressed and uh, I came down the stairs and walked into the kitchen. And Mrs. Reisinger said something to me that I don't always hear every morning. She said, pumpkin cake for breakfast, if that's all right with you. (laughs) I'll tell you what, if that's all right, if that's all right with me, there is nothing better than pumpkin cake for breakfast, right? Any day with pumpkin cake in it is a good day. Okay, so it's all downhill from here, (laughs) right, right? No, there is something better. There's something far better than pumpkin cake, and that's that any day with the love of the Father in it is a good day. Are you experiencing, are you experiencing the love of the Father? Oh, he loves you. And it is my privilege, it is by the the authority of the words of God that you are holding in your lap that the Father in heaven above, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, he loves you. With eternal, everlasting, immutable, agapao, agape, redemptive, redeeming, love, and it never ends. And if you are a child of God, if you have received him and his plan of salvation for you, you have the privilege of experiencing that every day of your life, not just in eternity future, but now. And that's part of his plan for you. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, if you're not there. What have we been studying in our times together, mine and yours? We've been studying the life skill of? Presenting, presenting right. It, the Greek transliteration of that word is paristeme. me. Pariste me. Can you say that with me? Paristeme. Demi, to present, to yield, to stand by, or to show. And the scripture passage reference for that, where, where we've been studying that, is where? Romans. Romans 12, 1-3, right? So we are continuing our study in the life skill of paristeme, or presenting, Okay, So to present yourself to the Father can be a one-time-and-forever thing, but it's also a continual thing. It's a life skill that we do every day, and the more we do it, the more it becomes part of, our, part of our habit. We want presenting ourselves to the Father to become part of our disposition, if you will. Okay, Something that maybe just becomes something we don't even think about. So let's read together. There's a lot we can talk about today, but uh, I've got a few thoughts. I want us to think about the Father's love maybe in a different way than you've thought about it or considered it before. Mainly, what are some of the things that get in the way? What are some of the things that get in the way of the Father's love? And is that even possible? Philippians chapter 2 says, If there be be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're over the target. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I pray that you'd direct our thoughts, you direct our thinking, and I pray that you would enable me to articulate or demonstrate the message that you have for us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for being our Father. I thank you for your everlasting love. I thank you for redeeming us. I thank you for your light, your life, your love. I thank you for your liberty, and I thank you for your long suffering with us. To the praise of the glory of your grace, wherein you have made us accepted in the beloved. In Jesus' great and mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Ethan, what's my next? Uh, I'm sorry, Bruce, what's my next slide up there? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to be reading real quick. Chapter 11, verse 36 says, For of him, that's Jesus, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen the Apostle Paul the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says I beseech you therefore brethren I beseech you I beg you I plead with you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that by the mercies of God we we're all familiar with the mercies of God what the Apostle Paul I think is specifically referring to here is everything he has taught in chapters 1 through 11 By those mercies, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by those mercies, chapters one through 11, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. I want you to present your body to God because it is your rational, your logical, your reasonable service of worship because all of those things are true. Okay? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that ye present your bodies. I see the word that as a kind of a pivot word, a transition word. This is the place where he's gonna pivot. The basketball player is dribbling down the court, he's going one direction, and all of a sudden he plants a foot and he pivots and he goes another direction. At this particular point, I think the Apostle Paul is saying, now that you know who you are, Now that you know what your position is with God, now present yourself, now practice. Romans one through 11, your position. Now it's time to practice. Brother Smith would say, this is where your orthodoxy becomes your orthopraxy, right? Okay, this is where the Apostle Paul is saying, now that you understand how you were related to God, Now relate to him, and you relate to him by simply presenting. Here I am, and present your body. Does that mean you're not presenting your spirit or your soul? No. When you present your body, God gets the whole package. He gets your body, your soul, and your spirit. He gets your heart, your personality, your soul. He gets your mind. He gets your strength. He gets your work. He becomes Lord of all. So we transition from how we're related to God to relating to God. And, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. We have another transition word. So here we're going to transition from our relationship with God to our relationship with the world. Present yourselves to God position to practice. And be not conformed to this world from my relationship with God now to my relationship with the world. And be not conformed, do not fashion yourself after, do not think like the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But is another transition word or pivot word where we're gonna go from being conformed to this world to being transformed into something different than the world by the renewing of your mind. Why that you may prove we're gonna transition from being transformed to transformation to disposition our work, that you may prove, that you may test, that you may experience what is that good and acceptable, well-pleasing will of the Father, the Father's work. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, and be not conformed to this world, don't fashion yourself after this world, don't think like the world, but be ye transformed, transform your thinking, fashion yourself after, by the renewing of your mind. Now, in future lessons, we're gonna specifically talk about what the renewing of your mind means, but we're gonna transform from something different than the world. This phrase, we're over the target here, this phrase, I believe, is one of the major causes for what I call spiritual dejection, spiritual cast-downness, spiritual depression, if you will. And it's why many young people grow up in Christian homes and churches only to leave altogether. You know, we have these guys that go around to these college campuses with microphones and cameras and they, and they interview students on college campuses. And they say, are you a Christian? Yes. Are you still attending church? No. Why are you not attending church? Because it doesn't work for me. Christianity doesn't work for me. How can a person grow up in a church, grow up in a Christian home, only to leave home to say, it doesn't work for me? I think this is one of the reasons and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The scriptures very clearly state in John 17 that God's ultimate purpose in his plan to rescue us from sin, corruption, and death in order that we might live with him for all eternity is to make us one with himself, one with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Salvation affords us an intimate, relationship with the Father. If you are going to enjoy or experience the blessing of your salvation, your relationship with the Father, you are going to have to adopt an intentional disposition toward Him. Let me say that again. If you are going to enjoy or experience the blessing of your salvation your relationship with the Father, you are going to have to adopt an intentional disposition toward Him. Are you enjoying, right now, as you sit here in this building, are you enjoying the Father's embrace? Is it real to you? Or are spiritual things just some idea When I was a young man of about 30, I heard an evangelist say this. He said, when you spiritualize, you tell spiritual lies. Funk. Hit me right here. You seen those little arrows with the suction cup on it? He could have fired one from the pulpit and hit me square between the eyes. When you spiritualize, you tell spiritual lies. Well, what does it mean to spiritualize? It means you separate that which is spiritual from the natural. Oh, yeah, I go to church on Sunday and I learn all that spiritual stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff, that's spiritual stuff, but on Monday it's back to the natural. And what is spiritual has absolutely no bearing on my natural life in the world. Oh, yeah? That's a lie. When you spiritualize, you tell spiritual lies. Because it has everything to do with your natural life in the world. Are you enjoying the Father's embrace? Are you enjoying his favor? The blessings of Christianity are abundantly more enjoyed by those who intentionally cultivate personal intimacy with the Father. Yes, I hate to tell you this, No, I'm glad to tell you this. Yes, there are things in Christianity we must do. There are things in Christianity that we must do. Passive Christianity as a lifestyle is not biblical. You won't find it in this book. Salvation is entering into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Will your intimacy with anyone you know grow deeper if you're simply passive about it? Oh, Mrs. Reisinger loves me. And I do nothing to cultivate my relationship with her, is my relationship with her going to deepen? Is it going to, no! I have to be intentional about that relationship, right? Passive Christianity is not biblical. You won't find it in the Bible. God loves me, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. That's a wonderful blessing. Intimacy with anyone never grows deeper through passivity. Intimate relationships require special attention, and our relationship with the Father is no different. It's no different. Uncle Bob, are you saying that he doesn't love me? No, he does love you. He loves you so much that he wants an intimate relationship with you. But you have a part in that, and it's an active, intentional part. Are you working out your own salvation? Are you working it out? We're not talking about that, that moment, that time when you got saved. We're talking about once you get saved, are you working it out? Are you working out your relationship with God? 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says this, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise... Do something, exercise thyself rather unto, not worldliness, but godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. There is nothing that godliness is not profitable for. Nothing. You can't name it. Unto all things, having promise, watch this, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Too often our young people, and even once we get older, we look at Christianity as this sweet, the, the sweet by and by. In the sweet by and by, when Jesus comes to get me, it'll all be over, it'll be better. It can be better now. We don't understand the blessing that is ours now. If we did, our young people wouldn't be leaving the church. Because they haven't grasped it. And if you have, praise God. (laughs) Praise God that you have. There's a reason to be here. And it's all good. So what is this thing that the Bible calls the world? Let's turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Yes, Ephesians chapter 2. We covered a little bit of this last time. And somebody took Ephesians out of my Bible. Here it is. Ephesians chapter 2, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The world is characterized by humanity that is dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. The course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. The spirit, the devil's spirit, the satanic spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The world is characterized by humanity that is disobedient. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Bible contrasts what it calls the world or the kingdom of darkness in many ways. Okay? So in salvation... Colossians chapter 2, chapter 1, says that the Father translates us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. So we set the stage last time. Give me the next slide there, Bruce. And I'll just put these back up here real quick for reference. The prince of the power of the air is who? And he's represented by the snake the serpent. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, the satanic spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Right? Okay. And we have this little guy. This is one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, do I have a slide that has uh, 1 John 2 on it? Yes? No? Maybe? I don't? Okay. First John, turn with me quickly to 1 John verse 15 and there's some words I'm going to bring out here love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh we'll call this little guy here the lust of the flesh the lust of the flesh is everything I want to do it's what I want to experience this little guy is where pleasure reigns pleasure rules Okay, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. We'll call this little guy here the lust of the eyes. This is everything I want to have. This is everything I want to possess. This is where possession is king. The lust of the flesh, pleasure. The lust of the eyes, possession. And the pride of life, this guy here, this is Mr. PBA. This is who I want to be, performance, Performance, performance. This is where prosperity rules. What do I have to do to be prosperous in the world? The course of this world is designed to meet these desires in unhealthy, ungodly ways. Jesus the Lord has, God the Father has translated us out of this kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son, a kingdom of love, Light, life, love, and liberty, the kingdom of deliverance. You with me? Now look with me again at 1 John chapter 2. Look at these words. As I contemplated what would be a good way to contrast. Or demonstrate the differences between the world or the kingdom of darkness and the world of the kingdom of heaven or the world of godliness I thought of many different ways we could demonstrate that contrast that compare that the Lord brought me back to these very familiar verses and he pointed out some words to me that I want you to see first John chapter 2 verse 15 look at it in your Bible Love not, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father, see that phrase? The love of the Father, now watch this and get ready to say ouch. The love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. Loving the world and the love of the Father in you are opposed to one another. You see that? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You are not going to find the love of the Father in the course of this world. It's not there. It doesn't exist. So what is it that is in contrast to the love of the Father? What is in the world? What is it? there's a word that comes to mind that I want you to get familiar with. It's used eight times in the King James Bible, and in three of those instances, it's it's used specifically to describe the world, okay? And I want you to see if you can pick it out. Genesis chapter three says this, it's the first use of the word. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says this, For to be carnally minded is death, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. James chapter 4 says this, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity, With God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In the Greek, Strong says that the word enmity, the word enmity, is hostility, a reason for opposition. It's hatred. In the Hebrew, it means hostility or hatred. Webster's 1828 says the quality of being an enemy, the opposite of friendship. It's the opposite of friendship. Ill will, hatred, unfriendly dispositions. It expresses more than aversion and differs from displeasure in denoting a fixed or rooted hatred, whereas displeasure is more transient. A state of opposition is enmity. That's what you find in the world. You will not find the love of the Father in the course of this world. What you do find is enmity. It's not neutral. Sometimes we treat the world like it's just this, this neutral thing out there, and we go out there and we pick and choose what we want to be involved in, what we want, what, how we want to get our desires for pleasure satisfied how we want to get our desires for possession satisfied how we want to get our desire for prosperity satisfied and it's like the supermarket that we just go out to and pick and choose from you will not find the love of the father there in fact what you will find is hostility toward him you'll find hatred And be not conformed to this world is not to be conformed to or according to. I don't know why I wrote that. Enmity means the quality or the characteristics that are the enemy of God, that which is opposed or opposed to friendship with God. It expresses, we said that, What I would like to do this morning is simply compare and contrast the enmity that is in the world over against the Father's eternal, immutable, redemptive agapo, agape love. And how that might work itself out in the lives of those of us who believe. Those of us that are saved. There is a great gulf fixed between that which is enmity against God and the love of the father. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to move through this very quickly. I like to think of the uh, the letter to the, the first letter to the Corinthians as the milk book. It's kind of the milk book. You know, he begins the letter talking about milk. So in the letter in the first letter to the Corinthians, we have a lot of milk like issues, the second letter to the Corinthians I like to call it the comfort letter, because he talks about in the first chapter uh, the Father God being the Father and God of all comfort. So he's comforting. And in 2 Corinthians chapter six verse eleven he says, "O ye Corinthians." Our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. All he's saying there basically is, in a roundabout way, is, oh, you Corinthians, our loved ones, our hearts are open to you. Our hearts are open to you, but your hearts are not open to us. So we beg you, Because our hearts are open to you, please open your heart to us. And if you assume that this is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul, you could say this is the Holy Spirit saying to us, my heart is open to you. Open your heart to me. And he addresses the problem. Why are their hearts not open? He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now our time is fleeting, and what I'd like to do is work through these very, very quickly. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Yoke. What does it mean to be yoked? It means, yoke there means a bond of connection. To be yoked, like in a marriage. A husband and wife are yoked. There's a bond of connection. He says, be ye not bonded or connected with Unbelievers, people that are disbelieving, without Christian faith, people that are untrustworthy, uh, that believe not. They're faithless. They're faithless. Don't be bound, bound, don't have a bond of connection with people that don't believe because because the way you think is opposed to one another. Oh, that person, that unbeliever may be a very nice person. They may, may be a very moral person. They may be a very good person in some respects, but they simply do not think the way believers think. So it's important that we're not, we don't bond ourselves, create a bond of connection between believers and unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Fellowship. Fellowship is communion, uh, intimate familiarity. Okay? It is familiar intercourse. Uh, Strong's says it's particip- participation, it is a course of interpersonal relationship. It describes the most intimate of our interpersonal relationships in humankind. The word fellowship. Righteousness is equity between man and man. Equity or of, of character or act. Uh, it is justification. It's righteousness is the condition Acceptable to God. It's integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. It's correct. It's not wrong. Unrighteousness is wrong. Righteousness is right. So we're not to be connected with that. Uh, And what communion hath light with darkness? Communion is very close to the word fellowship, but it carries more the idea of union. Come union. Union. Oneness. Okay, communion, Um, light. Light here has the idea of of being luminous, Uh, 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 fire, light. Uh, uh, In in spirituality, we talk about light being truth. Okay, what what does truth have to do with darkness, which is shadiness, obscurity, uh, darkness of ignorance? Ungodliness, immorality, darkness, as opposed to light. Here's an interesting word, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Concord. Concord's an interesting word. It means agreement between things, suitableness, or harmony, or harmony. Uh, The relation between two or more sounds which are agreeable to hear. Okay, Uh, I see that as being in tune with each other. You're in tune. You're in harmony. Strong's uh, says this is the Greek word symphainesis. Symphainesis. What does that sound like? Symphainesis. Symphony is where we get our word symphony. Okay, to be in concord, to be in symphony, to be in tune with. Moving on quickly, Christ. The word Christ is the anointed or that which is anointed is the implication here. He, uses, he doesn't say Jesus Christ, he says Christ, which means the anointed one or the Messiah, or that which is anointed by Messiah. Uh, the word Belial is that which is worthless or wicked. Okay, what concord hath Christ the anointed or things that are anointed by Christ with that which is worthless or wicked. See the contrast there. Uh, It's also a a name for Satan. Uh, The next phrase, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? The idea of what part here means an assigned part or a portion or a share. What assigned part or portion or share does he that believeth that person that is trustworthy, that person who uh, is believing, that person who is faithful, that person who is sure and true, what assigned part or portion does he have with an infidel, someone who is unfaithful, who is faithless, who cannot be trusted? Okay, next phrase, verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Agreement, a putting together or a joint deposit, like in voting. We're, we're voting, we're agreeing. The temple of God is a place of worship in Christianity. That's our bodies, right? Uh, metaphorically, the, the spiritual temple consists of the saints of all ages joined together by and in Christ. So there you're talking about the church at large, not just personal separation, but, but ecclesiastical separation. Okay? The temple of God is the body of Christ. It's, it's my body, but it's also your body, and we put them together, and we're the body of Christ. right? So what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Idols, we think of images by implication, a heathen God, a, a, some God apart from the, the one true God, uh, the, worship, the worship of such, anything that would replace or displace our worship of the Father, in our daily experience, is an idol. It is an idol. See the end of 1 John. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them. Come forth. Come out. Depart out of. Escape. Get out. Get out. Uh, Proceed forth. Move away. Cast it off. Okay? Come out. Be separate. Be ye separate from the course of this world means to set a boundary, set a limit, exclude it, divide it from you, separate it from you. That's what it means. Okay? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Don't even touch that which is impure. Don't even touch that which is immoral or lewd or specifically demonic or foul or unclean. Is there anything more demonic or satanic than enmity against God or with God? Here the Holy Spirit says, don't even touch it. Now we're over the target. Look at the phrase, and I will receive you. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That phrase means to take into one's favor, to receive. It's derived from a root word that means to take with the hand. To take with the hand, to take hold of, take up, to take up, receive, to receive or grant access to, as in a visitor, not to refuse a course of interpersonal relationship with friendship or fellowship. So is the Apostle Paul describing some sort of conditional love here? You ever ask yourself that question? So he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, the Father says, come out from among them and separate yourself and I will receive you. Hasn't he received me already? We certainly see that in John chapter 10. Brother Robert talked about that last week. He was talking about the Father. Jesus says, I'm in his hand and he and I are in the Father's hand and no man shall separate us, right? I and my Father are one. So is he talking about some kind of conditional love and acceptance here? Listen to Romans chapter 5. I'm moving very quickly now because we're running out of time. So heads up. Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty plain. So why in 2 Corinthians is he saying, Separate yourself and I will receive you. If here he says, being justified by faith, I already have peace with him. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, by Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of God. Of the glory of God. Grace is everything the Father is. It's everything God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is being poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that through Jesus Christ we have access to that grace by faith. See that? No. He is describing, he's not describing conditional love. What he's describing is an intimacy with the Father that can be experienced. Not just positional. Positional isn't pretend. Positional means this is where I stand. I stand in the Father's love. Are you experiencing it? You see where I'm going? In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18, he says, And I will be a father unto you. And he emphasizes it by saying, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Nobody gets in the way of it. What would it be like to be a son of the Father, experientially? What would it be like to be a daughter of the Father experientially? In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Boy, I'd like to hang out there, but... But there's something I've got to get to, so we've got to move on. Think relationship. Think relationship. What is keeping, what am I doing? What am I doing? Not the Father. He says, separate yourself and I will receive you. What am I doing that isn't separate from this? That's what's keeping me from experiencing the Father's love. Listen to this verse in James. and I thought about this verse for a long time. It really puzzled me, many years. James chapter 4, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I've got a silly illustration for you. Step up. Silly illustration. You hold that one, hold it up like that. This is a horseshoe magnet. We're gonna say that this magnet represents the character of God. You know those attributes of God that Pastor Virgil's been teaching us? His very character is love and grace, and by nature, he is humility. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're going to say that this is me. God in his grace and his great humility. And this is me in my rebellion and my pride. Okay? Now, Nathan and I, we have to put these magnets together. Come on now, come on, come on, get, get, get it on there. Get it. Ain't happening, is it? Why? Because the nature, the character of this magnet at the moment is different from this one. And there's no way for this energy in this magnet to flow into this one. Right? Right? He says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Okay? So what happens, watch this now, what happens if I repent? You see what I did? What did I just do? I turned it around. What does the word repent mean? Means to change direction. Be ye separate. Come out from among it. Enmity versus agape, O oh love. Repent. I turned it over. I turned it around. And now the grace is free to flow. And we're one. In experience, have a seat, thank you. We're one in experience, not just position. You see that? Father, we're out of time. If your word says that you are at liberty to give grace to the humble, I pray that every person here would be that humble servant of the Most High God so that we might enjoy being your son, so that we might enjoy being your daughter, so that we might come to understand everything the Father is to us in your great love and glory toward us. Thank you for the access we have through Jesus Christ, through the agent of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we long to know you and how we long to be known by you in experience. Please, may we not rest in our minds until we begin to think like you think and cast off the world so that we might know you and the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' great, great, great and mighty name we pray. Amen.